Good morning, everyone. Technically, good afternoon, everyone. Thanks. So if uh, you haven't met me, my name is Scott. Um, I am part, I'm the Young Adults Coordinator here, and I'm also uh, a chaplain in UCD, University College Dublin. Um, I have been, um, if you're new and you're like, who's this guy? Um, I was here way before you. Um, uh, uh, but I've been gone for the last two or three months um, doing placement. I'm in the ordination process in the Church of Ireland, so I was away. Um, and it's very weird knowing now that today I get to preach for more than eight minutes and I don't have to wear robes. So uh, it was very exciting picking what I was going to wear this morning uh, rather than just having like tracksuit bottoms under a... Uh, <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it, Terry. Um, so it's, uh, it's really nice to be back home. I've been um, part of this church for, I was thinking about it yesterday, for uh, I think close to eight, I think this is my eighth year in Holy Trinity. So it's amazing, like, kind of how much that flies past. Um, so it's really nice to be back. Um, I hope you missed me. Most of you are like, oh, is he gone? <laughs> what? Anyway, um, so it's nice to be back, and it feels like coming back home. And I want to say a quick word about the church weekend away, actually. Um, over the last two or three years, the Church Weekend Away has offered us a few things that are kind of actually a little bit hard to describe when we're doing the announcements about it. The, there's, of course, there's, the, there's stuff around our worship and our teaching and stuff like that, and that's really, really important because it actually shapes our vision for the year and what we're going to be doing together as a community. But there's a load of intangible stuff that happens on a weekend away that are almost hard for us to communicate the importance of. Like, checking in together, somebody who you've seen, there might be people in this church who you've known for five years, and you know you introduced yourself to them um, over tea, and you can't remember their name, and you've been too embarrassed to ask since. And it gives you a chance to just like start over, or to overhear um, two people having a conversation who you wanted to get to know, and just come up and join it over a cup of coffee, or over breakfast, or over a pint, or over several pints. It's like there's this wonderful opportunity for us to just naturally build relationship with each other. In uh, Steve Chalk's Guide to Youth Ministry, which is the most, I'd love to show you the copy of, uh, the copy of it I have. It's the most 80s cover you'll ever see. Um, but in it, he has a segment on weekends away. And he says that you can do about a year's worth of youth work in one weekend away. And as adults, we so rarely do that kind of thing. But we can do a year's worth of relationship building with each other if we, if we, when we go away together. And we just do the regular life stuff together. So I will be there. A bunch of us will be there. If, if finances are an issue and you're afraid to ask about that, just ask. There's a load of really generous people in this church who would love to try and help out in some way, shape, or form. If we can get you there, we'd love to get you there. We will try and find ways to get as many people there who want to go as possible because... That's what family is about. We make sure that family gets together. And it's not a family get-together if people are missing. And so we, we want as many people to be there as possible. So, is that all right? Okay, cool. Now we can get into the business of the day. So, um, to, before we get into the text, I suppose I should say Happy New Year, which is a, a, an upsetting thing to do in church. Uh, I am a huge uh, church nerd, uh, and technically the new church year starts in Advent, so I feel like I'm committing a crime by saying Happy New Year right now, because it's only new in terms of 2020, but it's not new in terms of the church year. But Happy New Year. How many people here made resolutions this year? <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of really hesitant and shameful hands going up right here. There's no full hands, just half hands. Yeah. Um, uh, I, um, I was going to ask if anyone is brave enough to share them, but I think I have um, my answer. Um, I'm still working my resolutions out for this year. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what mine are going to be. Uh, I think I have four. The first one is about books. 
Um, it's about how many books I want to read. Last year, I set a target for myself to, do, to read 30 books, uh, and I, I think I did that. Um, I have kind of lost count. Um, I have no problem talking about the numbers of books I read. I would have a problem if you were like, so what did you read? I'd be like, uh, mostly stuff about... About what? Wizards. <laughs> um, just wizards in different scenarios, like, you know, wizards in other worlds, wizard detectives, wizard plumbers, just anything with magic and fantasy. I, I just eat up those books like it's nobody's business. It's not the cutest thing to read, but it gets me reading, and it's, like, it's me not watching Netflix, right? So that's a win. Um, so I, I want to read more this year. I want to read more fantasy. I want to read more fiction, but also want to read more, um, you, know, you know, God stuff too, right? Okay, that's important. The second thing is people over projects. I want to, I, I just feel like I spent the, all of last year um, thinking about what we were achieving and the next thing that we were doing. And what it cost me was time with people. And so I spent so much time like in my office or working from home, sitting with spreadsheets or email lists or whatever that were all about getting people to the event or getting people to the thing. And it stopped me from prioritizing getting to the people or getting to people, to persons who I have wanted to build relationships with. And so I feel like we achieved a load of stuff last year, in, or we, I achieved a load of stuff last year that I was really happy with at the cost of me getting to know people I care about better. Um, and so for me, that's something that really stands out to me. The third is busyness. How many people here, when somebody says, how are you, answered busy? Yeah. Thank you. So there is this, um, I think it's the Heisenberg principle. People can tell me um, it, afterwards if I'm wrong. Um, but the, there's this scientific rule that you can, you can know where you are or how fast you're traveling, but you can't know both at the same time. When somebody says, how are you, they're not asking how fast are you traveling. They're asking, where are you? And when we answer busy, we're saying, I'm traveling at 90 miles an hour. It's like, I didn't, you, you don't have anything to prove to me. I asked you, where are you? Where are you in this moment? What are you present to? What is present to you? What are you experiencing? What is the scenery? What, what is happening as you look around in this moment? If someone says, how are you? Busy is not an answer. And so I want to remove that from my life and from my language because it's actually a way of me avoiding talking about where things are really at. And then finally, I want to get fit, right? I want to get fitter, and I want to do it for really mixed reasons. One is my body is a temple. Not a great temple, but it's a temple nonetheless. I want to swap like sausages for celery. Um, I want to, you know, I want to, I want to make the. I've been going on some runs. I've been, you know, I've been trying to get fitter for really mixed reasons. One is you get so much energy from being more fit. Two is I play football on Monday nights and often I play with some of the young guys in our church and there's nothing better than outrunning any of them or scoring against them, not making it like, you know, at 36 to come in against these young upstarts and sure, I still have it. Like, you know, that's a good feeling, you know, and I, I need that and I don't want to have to go and goal after half an hour for 15 minutes just to recover and, I, you know, I, but I also have a really complicated relationship with my body, you know, because I want to get in shape because I am ass shape and I don't know what that shape is. Um, and I just have this complicated relationship with it where it's like there's the, there's the, the good part of it that's like this is me making good disciplined choices about my body. And then there's the other part of it, which is the question of will my vanity beat my laziness? Um, and those are both flaws and I don't want to be, I don't want to be run by either of them. See, so our resolutions, they, 
they tell us a lot about ourselves. Our resolutions, they um, signal our judgment of ourselves in this present moment, and they also reveal what we aspire to. And what we aspire to tells us about what we consider to be valuable or virtuous. So when we talk about resolutions, it means that actually what we end up doing is we very often start our new year with a conversation about shame, guilt, dissatisfaction, or disappointment with who we are or where we are because we have allowed someone or something to tell us what is acceptable or good or worth loving, accepting, doing, or being, or having, and we have decided that we fall short of that. And that's the note on which we choose to start the year, and it's exactly the opposite of how Jesus begins his ministry. The reading from this morning is, is the baptism of, of Jesus. And in the church calendar, this, is, um, this Sunday is called the baptism of the Lord. And it's from Matthew chapter 4, where it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus starts the year by being baptized by his friends and his cousin, and as he emerges from the water, the voice of the Father speaks and says, This is my Son, the Beloved, with him I am well pleased. As a chaplain, most of my job involves listening to people's pain, listening to their stories, whatever those stories are, whatever those experiences have been. On Thursday, I had to put in an order in UCD for a, a, a bulk load, uh, like one of those gigantic boxes of boxes of tissues, because they are the tools of my trade. Um, and uh, there's this really funny relationship that, that people have to, to crying. Some people are, 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 you know, they'll take the tissue, no problem, then they'll wipe their tears, and they're fantastic, you know, good, wipe your tears, and then they blow their nose, and I'm like, okay. And then they'll tuck it under their leg on my chair, and I'm like, <laughs> and I don't pull myself back in. I've got other people who refuse to cry. They're, or sorry, they refuse to admit that they're crying, and so they'll go like this, and then they'll flick their tears, <laughs> because they just, there's something so vulnerable about it. Um, and there's a vulnerability that we so often run from, and... In my work, I can't tell you how many stories that I hear from people, stories of heartbreak and loss or grief or regret or stories of addiction or abuse that would have been completely transformed if they had just had a parent at some point say to them, you are my child, I love you, and I am proud of you. There's something so amazing to me that 2,000 years after these events, it seems like all of the best, all of the expertise into our emotional and mental care comes back to a 2,000-year-old emotional intelligence that has the father saying to the son, you are my child, I love you, and I am proud of you. That it turns out that from the beginning of time, it's what we've all longed and needed to hear. And as children of God, these words are not just Jesus's, they are ours. You are my daughter. You are my son. You are my child. I call you beloved. I love you. I am pleased with you. I am proud of you. And I don't know if we can actually even fully understand these verses if we don't connect them to the verses that follow it. 
Immediately after this moment, Jesus goes out into the wilderness to the temptation. Matthew describes it like this. He says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him back to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. But Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, and he said to him, All of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. One of the things that I find that we never connect enough is the, is the way in which the first two temptations use the same language as the baptism. The tempter doesn't begin with, Here, do this thing, because it'll be pleasurable, or fun, or rebellious, or it'll meet a bunch of your needs. It begins with, if you are the Son of God. The temptation is the temptation to let go of everything Jesus heard at the baptism in order to prove what God has already spoken. And that's always been the way with temptation. You see that in the Garden of Eden. When the serpent comes to Adam and Eve, it says to them, did God really say that you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? Because this is how temptation always begins, not with the brilliance or wonder or pleasure of what we're being tempted with, but with the erosion of our belief in the goodness and grace of God. And so the tempter starts, if you are the Son of God, And as I was reflecting on this during the week, this, these words kept coming back to me. The burden, to proof, uh, the burden of proof as to whether or not I am loved is not on me as the beloved. It is on the God who loves me and has called me his own. The burden of proof as to whether or not I am loved is not on me as the beloved. It is on the God who loves me and who has called me his own. And he has spoken. He has spoken by bursting into the world at Christmas. He has spoken by embracing our death and our darkness at Easter. He has spoken in his promise of redemption at resurrection. And he's still speaking to us, in us, and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit who is within us. New Year's resolutions, they're about starting over, but it raises the question, where are you starting over? Whose voices are you listening to? Are you listening to voices that, you, that tell you that you need to earn love? That you need to prove yourself? That you can't be forgiven? That you can't start over? That you failed too many times? Or with the word that God speaks to God and that our Father speaks to us? You are my child. I love you. I am pleased with you. New Year's means starting over. And so does grace. But the difference with grace is that we don't start over with nothing. We start over with everything that God offers us. Love, hope, wonder, forgiveness.
And as I was trying to figure out what I was going to say this morning, the words that kept rattling around my brain were um, words from the story of the prodigal son in the Gospel of Luke. And this idea that actually sometimes I feel like we can be the younger and the older son at the same time. Like we don't need extra characters in this story. Like when I say, I want to come, I want to, I want to start over. I want to come home. There's some part of me that's like the older brother saying to me and to the father about me. You don't deserve to. You don't get to just come home. You don't belong here anymore. You've made your choice. You've showed your allegiance. You have decided where you're going to be. And you've got to stick to that decision. And that's not the world saying that to me or the church saying that. That's me saying that to me, being like, no, you don't belong here. I feel like Gollum and Schmeagel, like having that debate in the Lord of the Rings going back together, where like the camera angle keeps changing, but it's just the same person and the same voice. And like the father says to us what he says to both sons, but together. And he speaks this, this, this like bitter and twisted voice within us that refuses to believe in our own redemption and transformation. You are always with me. Everything I have in your, is yours. You were lost, and now you're found. That's grace. And this year, grace can be your starting point. So if you're tired, there's grace for that. And if you're hurting, there's grace for that. If you're lost, there's grace for that. If you're angry and filled with rage, there's grace enough for that. If you're disappointed or doubting, there's grace for that too. If you're afraid, if you're lost, if you're weary, there's grace for that. You see, that's the beauty of it. At this time of year where everybody is offering a new way in which to fall short, Jesus is saying, come to me and I will give you rest. Rest for your weary souls. You have nothing to prove. I've read so much um, over the years about people talking about what we deserve from God and all this different stuff. And people saying, well, you know, God, when he looks at you, he sees Jesus, and that's why he loves you, which is just a kind way of saying, you know, you're really unlovable, but thankfully God's looking at the wrong person. Um, there's this really toxic theology that's out there that's almost like, well, in comparison to God, who am I to be loved? And God's up in heaven going, but I'm not the one comparing us. I'm not the one making these judgments. I'm not the one saying whether or not you're good enough to be loved. I am love, and I love you. There is your answer. Trust me to tell you who you are. Trust me when I say you are my child. I love you, and I am pleased with you. And this year doesn't have to be another year of proving yourself. Or fighting for something that's already yours because you're already home. You already have more love than you can handle. You're home. You're loved. You're my child. He is pleased with you. He is proud of you. Let's pray. Father of endless 
goodness, hope, and kindness. Of love that defies description and that has no end. Open our eyes and our hearts to the fact that you're already here. Free us from our need to try and prove ourselves or convince you that we are lovable, that we are good enough, that we are whatever it is that we think gives us control. You have spoken. Give us the faith to believe the unbelievable, to believe in how good you are, in how much you love us. In your name, amen.